your dad was there. I mean, I want to tell you the story of your dad in my life. Uh, you know, when he was the honorary captain, you were probably in there. But just for anybody who's who's listening, when I, you know, went to that first McKinley game that season, like I said, my Aunt Jan, Max Heimer at the time, Miller now, was friends with uh, your dad. And for whatever reason, your dad stood out to me on the field. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if it's just I saw 44. I don't, I don't know what it is. But he stood out to me. And, you know, as little kids in Madison grow up, they kind of, they're football players are heroes. So he was my hero. And then I don't know what week of the season it was, but my Aunt Jan comes to me and says, hey, would you like to go over to, to meet Mark Pfeiffer? And eight-year-old kid, he's my hero. Are you freaking kidding me? So she arranged and came over here and sat in your dining room with your dad and had spaghetti. And it was just, I was sat there, I just remember sitting there in awe of, here's a Tiger football player, I'm at his house, and this is the coolest <laughs> thing in the world, because he's our god. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, I tell the story sometimes, too, of uh, the first time I got an autograph, I had to give an autograph. My senior year, and, you know, we were winning big in the game, and I'm sitting back on the bench by that point, it was later in the season, um, and this kid taps me on the shoulder, and he's got a piece of paper and a pen. And I swear to God, I stood up, looked at him, and I turned around to see if Brian DeWitt or Chris Spillman were behind me. Because I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, where's Chris at? There's no way this kid wants my autograph. But he did. He wanted. He just wanted any player's autograph, so I gave him an autograph. And, you know, that's you know, one of those formative things, too, which makes you realize how important it is that little kids are coming down there and they want an autograph of a Tiger football player. And, you know. You always assume it was going to be Spillman or DeWitt or Craig Johnson or, or one of those stars of the team. But he just wanted the Tiger, and that's kind of the way it was for me too. I mean, all those guys were my heroes. So, To add to your story, my dad always likes to tell it, that you invited him over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And you guys had, what was it, homemade pizza. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, yeah, the pizza was pretty average. It was even burned a little bit on the bottom. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sitting there, and like, this is the best pizza I ever had. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that was it was just a special time that I got to have a tiger in my house and got to come to your house and, and, have, and sit with the tiger. It was just the coolest thing in the world. Shut up and sit down. And welcome to the week 14 state semifinal edition of the Black Swarm Podcast. I'm Rob Antonell here with Hank Piper and special coach uh, Dave Weber will be joining us today. So welcome, Coach. Hey, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking. Uh, so uh, as normal, you know, we're going to get into uh, a little bit of the experience uh, of our guest, as well as uh, looking back to last week's game, and well as previewing next week's game. So uh, if there's anything else you wanted to get into there, Hank? Nope. Just uh, thank you for clarifying what's already going to be in the title. You're welcome. So, uh, Coach Weber, you know, if you want to get into it, uh, just talk about your football career and uh, what brought you to uh, tonight. Football career, actually, I obviously uh, grew up here and played here, but then when I was done playing football, I wasn't done being around football. So I asked basically Eric Schumacher, Jeff Huffman, if I could coach at Lauren Andrews. So I started coaching Lauren Andrews fresh out of high school. So I've been coaching since 1984, the fall of 84. So this is my 34th year in coaching. And so I was at L.A. for Lauren Andrews for 10 years. Uh, I think I beat Longfellow every year. I don't think Longfellow ever touched us because they suck. 
<clears throat> but then went with Joe, uh, went down to New Philadelphia after that with Phil Morrow. And then Phil was there for a year. Phil went to Jackson. And then Claude Brown came in for two, I believe it was. And then uh, Joe came in after that, Joe Studer. So I was with Joe for a couple years down there and then went up to Norton with Joe after he got the head job up there and uh, became the head coach there for three years. And then after I was done there, uh, Tom Stacy asked me to come down in 2007. And I've been basically there since then. So spent, I think, 20 or 21 years in some form of coaching at Maslin. So it's been, uh, you know childhood dream not to coach but just to be around this program my entire life and I've been afforded a lot of opportunities really out of chance I mean when Tom Stacy brought me down they had a need uh he wanted me as a volunteer he wanted to bring in a friend of his from Worcester and that didn't work out so it kind of slid into that assistant offensive line position with Matt Leisure at the time and then bounced you know from there went to linebackers for a few years and then coached tight ends for a year and then back to linebacker and then tight ends and and uh, fullbacks now. So now, uh, when you decided you wanted to get into coaching, mm-hmm. was getting back at Maslin your goal, or were you just wanting to coach anywhere, or did you have anything in mind? I wanted to stay at Maslin. I went to LA because I wanted to be at Maslin because I hadn't been outside Maslin, but I know you know being here what this place is like. But I started to learn as I went that if I wanted to coach at the high school in Maslin, I had to take a chance and leave. So I got lucky. I honestly got lucky that Phil Morrow was going down there, so I went down there with him. And, you know, I went through that progression there. And um, I kind of found that I, I did that because I felt the only reason, the only way you're going to get back to the varsity level of Maslin is to go out there and prove yourself doing something else before they're going to hire you in the varsity level. So I just, maybe I would have been wrong, but I kind of saw, you know, when I played it at Lauren Andrews, our coaches, Mike James and Butch Hose and people like that, they did, you know, kind of elevate up through, but that was under a, a head coach who was there, Mike Currens, for, you know, nine years, and that possibility was there. Well, as we started to rotate through Lee Owens for three and, and, and things like that, I didn't see that opportunity to, you know, with a new head coach every time, he's going to bring his people in. So if I wanted any opportunity to get back to Maslin at the varsity level, which is a goal of mine, I knew I had to leave, and those, you know, uh, basically 12 years away sucked. I mean, it was – Great experience being down there, but I know when I got in the car as soon as the game was over, I was trying to get freaking WTIG on the radio from New Philadelphia or Norton to find out how we were doing. Because all I wanted to know when my game was over is how the Tigers doing. Did they win, lose, whatever? And, and you know, sometimes New Philadelphia, it's a struggle to get any of the radio stations up here, but I would fly up 800 and 250 as fast as I could to try to get a signal in to, get, to find out how the Tigers did. And, you know, some nights great, some nights pissed. And, and that's just the way you are when you're, when you're a Tiger kid adult whatever i don't care what else you're doing in life that's all that matters is how the tigers did on friday night i mean that's that's really all that mattered so you know those years away were great experience met some great people you know learned a lot of stuff but i i wanted to get back here and you know thankfully you know worked out that way yeah so i mean obviously you, you made it a big point you wanted to be in maslin you know obviously you're a maslin guy you love maslin uh the one thing we've heard from some of the other coaches is that you do a really good job of really explaining to the kids, you know, what it means to be from Maslin, maybe some of the history of Maslin, you know, what does the history of Maslin mean to you? What does it mean to the team? And how do you explain that to the kids? Well, it's weird that it's only here, but it's kind of, it's formative in my life. I mean, my, 
my dad was Blue Scholar president, Sideliner president. You know, he he did signs. He painted the field when we had grass field. So I've been around this program in one way or another from the time I was probably about seven years old till now. And, you know, I knew, I don't know that I knew what massive football – I always tell the kids a story, and, and this is just kind of my story about when I kind of realized what massive football was. When I was seven or eight years old, we played 1974 game when, when your Uncle Joe played. And uh, uh, that game was the first game I was allowed to go to because my parents, Tiger fans, and they were buying season tickets, and they weren't taking me to a game until my rear end could sit there and not bother them because they're watching the game. They're not going to babysit me and have me running back and forth. So the 74 games happens, and I'm – you know, I was in love with your dad during the season. Didn't see him, but your aunt, my aunt Jan, who went to school with your dad, you know, would always tell me about him, and I'll get to that part of it in a minute. But as that game progressed and we won in the last six seconds, all I remember is I'm sitting there, and I didn't see the play happen when Ed Bell, you know, went up under center, rolling to his right, all kinds of pressure, shooting one. This is for Bell, touchdown. I mean, that you know, I've got that record album at home. When that occurred, I didn't know what happened. All I saw was my mom and my dad beside me jump up, screaming their hearts out, kissing each other, my mom crying because we won the McKinley game. And at that moment, I'm thinking, is everything okay? What's going on? And, you know, that kind of moment, it was kind of the thing that I, I started to understand as a seven or eight-year-old what this this is something special. And then from that point on, like I said, would go with my dad to paint the field, would go with my dad to put signs out, whatever it was. I've just been around it my entire life. So, you know, when I got to the high school, uh, it started coaching there. That's one of the things I kind of saw lacking is we had a number of kids who moved in who weren't from here. And to me, you know, watching the Tigers play growing up, we won games because of talent, because of coaching and so on, but it came down sometimes to winning because we are massive because we have that on our freaking chest. And I would see, you know, sometimes kids around me who were good football players and whatever, but when it comes down to crunch time, they're good too. Our opponents are good too. They're not going to give us a touchdown. So there's got to be something that's a difference between us and them. And that difference is what's on your chest and in your heart, and it's masculine football, and it's hard for people who aren't around here to understand what that is. So what I started to do when I coached Spencer, people like that, is I would write a letter every week to my linebackers. And then, like, when they were there, I'd do it to my linebackers, and, you know, Rob Partridge would ask for a copy of it as well. So I did that every week. And then when I got back here uh, with Nate, I started doing the same thing. So I write a letter to the kids every Friday Sometimes it's you know situational. Sometimes it's got to do with kind of I don't know. One of mine was was on potential this year. That this team has a lot of potential. Potential is a word that you know. But last year they were all on what massive football means. Because last year when I got back from going to Green for a year, the kids didn't know. I walked in and we get to the you know fall camp and and we're going through stuff and kids are fighting and kids are bitching about this and that and the other thing. And they weren't focused on what they're doing, what they're doing here. So all my letters last year, through all the, all the weeks of the season, had to do with what it means to be a tiger, what it means to the people sitting in the stands about what being a tiger is. And you know, there was one, there was <clears throat> one letter I wrote, but I was, it was it was post game one week, and I can't remember the week week it was, but I was up in the box, and I'm coming down out of the stands, and there's the game was over, we lost whatever week it was, we lost that week. And I'm coming down out of the center steps, and there is this older couple there. The guy, the wife told me he's 83 years old. And he is going from railing to railing. He is riding the railing down, and he gets to the end where it kind of breaks apart. And he would hold on, and he would lean, and his wife was holding on to his jacket. This guy's 85 years old. He doesn't need to be there on a Friday night. 
But the Tigers are what he's about. That's what the people in his town are about. They're about Friday night about the Tigers. So I, you know, put in the letter, you know, kind of that story. And my wife earlier in the night, uh, she was come up in the stands, and there's this, there's this older lady there who has a Ziploc bag, clear Ziploc bag, and you can see money in there and so on. And she's standing there, like looking around. She has a she has a ticket in her hand. She's like looking around. And my wife says, you know, can I help you? You know, is something everything okay? And the lady said, well, I don't know where to sit. I've always sit always sat in section three, but I couldn't afford season tickets this year. I don't know where these seats are. Well, they were general admission seats. So my wife said, you know what? Those are end zone seats, but there's seats open here. Just sit down. So the combination of those two things, I told, I screamed at the kids about both those stories after the game, but I put it in my letter, and it was kind of that theme all year, is you're not playing for you. You're not playing to win games. You're playing for the people in the stands. You'll have your time where you're in the stands, but right now you're not playing for anything other than the people in this town, the people in the stands, because you're paying it forward to the next generation of kids. And, uh, you know, the thing I got across to the kids about the lady with the Ziploc bag is that lady probably should not be coming to football games. She's got a Ziploc bag for a purse. Not much money in it. She can't afford tickets, so she should be doing something else. But in this town, this is what we do. We go to the Massillon football games. I don't care what you have to sacrifice, you get your rear end to a Massillon football game. And that was kind of my theme all last year, to try and get those kids to understand. Now, those kids are seniors, and I, I watch them practice every day. I think they get it. So my, my letters this year have focused more on things like, you know, using words like potential and so on. Because I think these kids get it. So, you know, that's kind of, I think, what you're asking about. So, No, that, that's an incredible story. And the Booster Club meeting, when uh, you were the guest coach, you know, you were there, you told that full story. Yeah. And you got a standing ovation afterwards. Yeah. There's been two other standing ovations since then. Mm-hmm. There was when they announced Jameer got the all-time leading rushing record, and when Coach Moore got the... Uh, Stark County MVP for whatever it was. Yeah, the HBC yeah. Coach of the Year. Yeah. So, and I mean, just to put in context of what that story, and you know, you can tell you're getting jacked up during this, and you're making me jacked up during that, and I'm getting jacked up again. And uh, just to kind of put in context of, you know, you can see how much you care about this town, yeah, and how much other people care about it, and you know how much that means to everybody else. You know, I, I, I do think that, and I think, you know, the generation we're kind of in, the people you still see sitting in Section 4, 5, and 6 up high are the ones who are 65, 70, 80 years old. And the younger generation, you know, the, the attendance has kind of fallen off some because the younger generation looks for it, – it's too hard to go to a freaking football game. I can sit at home. I can watch Hallmark Channel, whatever I'm going to watch, rather than to spend money on tickets and go to the game. Get your asses to the game. That, that's where you should be on Friday night. Because those kids that were wearing that uniform, I watch them every day. They work their asses off to give you people wins in town. So get to the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a huge part of the community. You know, everybody has their own story. So, I mean, it's great to hear all these different stories. Uh, For example, you know, I like to tell this one every now and then. Uh, I worked at a nursing home for a couple months helping out when they – I I knew somebody there. They needed help. Uh, I worked there for a couple months during football season and there there was a lady there who was in her 90s she would tell me stories about how paul brown was her history teacher and to be honest she she wasn't all the way there mentally 
But every single Friday, she'd make sure to point out that she was wearing her OB pin mm-hmm. on whatever clothes she was wearing. And most of the Fridays, she would get picked up by family, friends, a group, I forget who it was. They'd pick her up, they'd take her out uh, to some kind of group meeting that had to do with Maslin. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they'd usually take her to the game as well. Mm-hmm. And she might have forgot all of it by the next day. But for whatever reason, every single Friday, she'd wake up, she'd put on her clothes and her OB pin, and she'd make sure to point it out to me. And she would tell me all the stories about it. And, you know, it's just the fact that some of these older people are still going to all the games. It really mm-hmm. means something to them. It means something to the town. It means something yep. to the community. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we're able to explain that to the kids. We have somebody on the inside that can really teach that to them because, you know, there are a lot of people. You know, my grandparents have been season ticket holders for, I don't know, ever. You know, they, they still go to the games. Uh, you know, they, they aren't able to go all, to all of them. But, you know, they make sure to listen to the ones that they can. And, uh, you know, it's just it really means something. So I'm glad that, you know, some of these kids, you know, whether they were raised here or not, they still get that idea of, you know, what it means to the community. So it, it means a lot to us yeah. that we have somebody that's able to explain that to the kids. Yeah. It's important to me because it was important to me when I was growing up. I mean, that's I never felt like I was it was my time to play. So focus on me or the group of kids I'm playing with. I never felt that way because I was around it the entire time I was growing up, and I knew who I was playing for. I was playing for the town in general. I was playing for the people who drug their rearance in the games on Friday night, and that's who you're playing for. Uh, sure, you're playing for yourself. Sure, you're playing for your buddy next to you, but I've never really subscribed here in town to, you know, it's like a foxhole thing. You're in the military, and you're fighting for the guy next to you. You're, there's some measure of that, but you're playing for the guy, people who are spending money, their hard-earned money on tickets to come watch you and cheer you on Friday night. All right, because they did it before you to give you what you have, period. So you need to do it for them. And then once your turn, when you're done playing, that's when you get to enjoy Madison football. You get to enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's a business. You know, I learned that when I played uh, my sophomore year. I mean, that's back when we had the varsity was junior and senior, period. Sophomores were in a different locker room. You got your asses beat every day at practice, and you played a, son, you played a, a, a sophomore schedule. When you got to be a varsity player as your junior year, I remember, you know, going through the season, getting my rear end beat still on scout team, things like that. But I remember going into McKinley week that year, Gary Conley, people like that. It was a different atmosphere. And all I remember is JV was fun. But when you're a senior that year, because it was it was literally that. Back when we had so many players playing, we had all the factories open in town. There was 90 people in junior senior class. It was senior-dominated football. When you got to be a senior, there was nothing fun about playing mass on football. The only fun was winning on Friday night. That's what your job was, and if you didn't win, everything you did didn't matter. So there wasn't what you didn't go to practice every day. Hey, hey, kids, let's have fun. No, you're here to freaking win. That's what you're here for. So you know, that's kind of what I learned. You know, growing up, being part of being around it, is it is a business. And these kids, when you watch these kids practice, they practice like it's a business. That's what they do. I mean, they they just work and work and work. So I think they're getting it because we're not we're not yelling at them to practice hard. They practice their rear ends off. Yeah, that's I, I think that's one thing, you know, um, like we've tried to talk about on here before about the last regime and how much of a one eighty it is from then. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that I didn't really notice was missing until recently was we never talked about the history right. of Maslin. You know, it was like Back then, it was mass and football. It didn't start until 2008. Right. And just, you know, I 
having you back here, having guys that, you know, really instill the history of what it means to be a Maslin Tiger mm-hmm. back in the kids, I think is one of the biggest differences now compared to where we've been. Well, having so many Maslin guys on staff, I mean, I'm kind of the rah-rah guy that does, you know, what we talked about. But every one of those guys coaches rear ends off. And they coach your rear ends off because they're good coaches, because they're good men. But they coach your rear ends off, McConnell, you know, Spencer, all those guys who are Maslin guys because of what it means to them and what it meant to them. So winning on Friday night is not just, you know, hey, I, I got, as a defensive coordinator, I got to chalk up another W and we shut down an opponent. It's about Maslin football and about doing the right thing for Maslin football. So, you know, that's that's been a, a big benefit with this staff is having so many guys who understand what it is. Yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've really touched on it, but you mentioned that, you know, there's something different mm-hmm. when you play for Maslin. You know, there's something that changes the game one way or another, you know, besides coaching and talent. You know, it shows that heart. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of different cliches out there about Maslin. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, you know, everybody else hates Maslin. Nobody yeah. likes Maslin. Uh, you always got a target on your chest, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, to go with that... You know, it seems like you're always going to get another team's best game mm-hmm. because it means something to the other team yep. to play Maslin. This might not be the best example because it's a different sport, but uh, might have been ten years ago. I don't know if I ever told you this or not, Hank. Uh, Zanesville beat Maslin in basketball. They had a horrible season overall. I forget what their record was. It was horrible. During their banquet at the end of the year on their banquet program, it said Zanesville basketball. I don't know, 5-15, and 15, we beat Maslin. It was right there on the program. You know, it's basketball, a different sport. But, you know, what? how do you explain that to the kids that, you know, every single week you're going to get a team's best? I mean, are other teams actually out there? You know, does it mean more to them to play us? It does. It means more to them to beat Maslin because they, as much as people hate us, I mean, you know, everybody has probably you've heard it before. I equate us to the Yankees and Notre Dame. All right, people hate us because they want to be us, and they can't be us. So if, if they have the opportunity to, to beat us, that's a feather in their cap because they no matter what they do, they can't be masculine. Nobody can be masculine. I don't care who it is across country, you can't be masculine no matter how hard you try. We have, you know, whether it be the fan base, whether it be the booster club, whatever it is, doesn't matter. We are a special, special entity, period. So... You know, explaining that to the kids, some of the letters I've, I've written this year and some letters I wrote even last year kind of end with who our opponent is. And they're not coming in here to get another W. They're coming in here to beat Maslin because that's something they can live on the rest of their life as they beat Maslin. Whether we're a great team that year or not a good team that year, that's, you know, something they want to do. You know, Stark County is the worst. Everybody in Stark County hates our guts, all right? You know, they can't be us. They talk about, you know, all we care about is football. Well, they wish their fans cared about football like ours did. I mean, let's be honest. Perry, all those people around Stark County wish their fans cared as much, which their players cared as much, which their coaches cared as much as ours do. And they can't they can't do that. So when you go to North Canton last week and they put us in the soccer locker room instead of the home locker room or the home team, there's a reason that happened. It, you know, they say it's because they didn't want their fans or their players having to walk by our fans. Well, you you exit the field the same way. Either you're going to the home locker room, which you walk by our fans, or you go to the soccer locker room, which you walk by our fans. So, you know, it, just, it was Hoover's chance to stick it on our eye and think they did something to us. Well, you know what? We came to your field and beat our opponent's ass. So, you know, all your little bull crap didn't work. So... Try again. You still can't be us. You're not Maslin. You're North Canton Hoover. Nobody gives a crap about North Canton Hoover. 
So in the grand scheme of things, they care about Maslin. In the grand scheme of things, they don't care about Hoover. Nobody does. Sorry, Hoover. I don't care about you. <laughs> Would you say that Louisville might have been a good example of that? Oh, yeah. Just because of the way they came out? It's funny sometimes, you know, we're having a really good year, but it's funny sometimes to watch teams pregame. Whenever you're watching teams and they're out there high-fiving each other and, and, you know, bobbing their heads and so on, you know you're going to kick their ass because they know what's coming. They know what's coming, and they're trying to keep themselves so fired up that maybe they have a chance, but when the whistle blows and they got to play us, uh, it, it changes the tune. And Louisville is a perfect example of that. You know, they rolled everything into, you know, sold sweatshirts and whatever in their, in their stores that beat mass and so on and so forth. They knew they weren't beating us. They knew they had no prayer. But they tried to hype their kids up, and that's kind of what, you know, when you see that pregame sometimes, you kind of know how it's going to roll. Uh so, yeah, Louisville is a perfect example of, of that, that kind of thing that, well, we can, well, my wife went to Perry and her entire, she's the only one in her family went to Perry. Everybody else went to Mass on parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, so on and so forth. But she's a year younger than me. So when we played Perry that year, you know, she would talk about, you know, in the hallway, they're all running around, slapping each other on the back and so on and so forth. And we actually had two kids, three kids, transfer from Maslin to Perry that year, my, my senior year that I would have graduated with. And years later, after we beat their rear ends in that game, they told us, yeah, you know what, everybody was slapping each other's back, you know, all week long. When we got that locker room and walked out in the field, I looked at the Maslin kids who were playing for them, looked in their eyes and said, oh, we're screwed. So edit that if you need to. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we didn't say it. It can stay. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, us being Maslin, we get everybody's best game. Mm. How hard is it to get the rest of the kids up for them to come in and, you know, get ready to play everybody's best game? I know, you know, week 10, we all know what that's about. But yeah. there's some weeks where it's got to be hard to get up just knowing how we are. Well, you know, when I started writing those letters last year, it was uh, to make them understand how important Maslin football is. Because when you understand the importance of something, it builds passion. When you have passion for something, you're going to be able to pull that passion out anytime you want. So my letters this year, like I said, have focused more on kind of thematic things because I think these kids understand what it means to be a Tiger. So when I write those things, it's pointing out, you know, potential, whatever, whatever the letter was that week, those kind of things that these guys are coming. All right. So you've got all just that first week's letter was potential. You've got all the potential in the world. Potential is just a word. Unless you actually do it on the field, potential doesn't mean crap. Potential is only potential is a perpetual word. Potential never changes. You never reach your potential. You never reach it. All right. So there's only so much you can do. You know, when Stu last year, I always gave the pregame to the kids, and I handed it off to Stu this year because you know the thing I told Coach Moore. Coach Moore wanted uh, Stu and I to kind of alternate because I did it all last year, and I think Coach Moore liked it, and I think the kids liked it. But I told him, I said, you're going to get no difference. You're going to get a different style of delivery from Stu, but Stu's going to do the same thing. He's going to say the same things I'm saying. And what I said in my letter, I think it was last week actually, is the only thing that's sustainable is passion. Stu's not talking to those kids and firing them up with emotion. Emotion is not sustainable. Emotion is sustainable through the kickoff, the first play, and then all hell breaks loose. But your passion for wearing that jersey 
is what's going to sustain you through the game. When they're playing on emotion because they want to beat Mass, they're not playing with passion. Somebody's been firing them up, whipping them all up all week that they want to beat the Tigers. Well, that's emotional. They're fired up. They're doing like a, you know, I explained to you about the Perry game. Uh, it's emotion. Slapping each other in the back. If you don't have the passion to do it, I don't care what emotion you bring out of them to start the game. That's going to go away pretty quick. So, you know, it's hard to get kids up if they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. So last year I spent the year trying to make them understand why they're doing what they're doing. This year my letters are focused more on, okay, you know what you're doing. So understand that these guys are coming in to beat your rear ends and put a notch in their belt this week and get ready to go. And then Stu delivers a pregame you know, message uh, every Friday night, and it's not based on getting these kids fired up for five minutes. It's stoking the passion that being a Madison Tiger is because that's going to carry you through all four quarters. So, you know, it, teenagers are teenagers. But, you know, if you can convince them that what they're doing is important, and it is, then, you know, it's not that hard to get them up. Yeah, I, I think another big part of that, too, is we talked about this with Coach Moore when he was on here about how, you know, some guys will give the, oh, well, any given Friday speech. Mm-hmm. I think with Coach Moore, he's a little more honest, a little more genuine, you know, mm-hmm. like especially with, it struck me really with the Firestone game where it's, you know, our goal was 49 nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a, it helps the kids, you know, get that, get that passion up, like you said. Right. Um, was there any real game in particular that kind of, that the team struggled with to get up? Week 11. I think week 11. I mean, we practice well, but you could just tell something was off with their mentality. And that's kind of, you know, it's hard to get to week 11 because it kind of goes to what, you know, we were talking about earlier with your dad or whoever your hero is. You're treated like a god in this town when you wear that uniform. And for the two weeks, the week leading up to McKinley, especially, and then the week after McKinley, once you win that game, you are a small G, literal God in this town. When you roll through town, if we're playing McKinley away, and you roll through town on that bus for the first time you've ever gotten to do that, you are a God. You're leaning out of that bus. People just want to touch you because you are, in this town, a small G God. So you go into the next week, and all we did this year was the media. Everybody else kept talking about how you know great we are. We beat McKinley, and, and the kids are riding high because we kept the bell, and all the things go with it with the you know rivalry. Uh, a group that comes in from the Marine Corps, uh, American riot, great rivalry, whatever it is. And all week long, you're reading the paper about how great you are for beating McKinley. And in this town, it's a huge thing. So the transition out of that for a teenage kid is nearly impossible. Because they've been treated like God the week before. They're treated like a God, small G God, the week of the first playoff game. And then they got to turn it on on Friday night. And I think we started out slow in that game for that exact reason. It's very hard. And we got through it. And we, you know, won big, but it wasn't pretty. It's, it's hard to do. And I think this town's the only town that has to deal with that stuff. You don't have the McKinley game in week 10 and then move into a playoff game anywhere else in this country that you have to deal with that. So it is hard sometimes to make that transition after that, I think we're fine. But that's, you know, when we when we won that game, I went in the locker room and I screamed at him. Not in a pleasant way. I screamed at him in a way that you better understand that. You've been a god for two daggone weeks. You're done being a god now. If you want to get to week 15, you got to play football. So, you know, I did that last week too. We beat at, we beat uh, Wadsworth over there and uh, regional champs. And that was none too pleasant in the locker room. Just 
because we got one goal in this town and we're not there yet. So, yeah, uh, I think you could even feel it in the stands too. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just the McKinley hangover is mm-hmm. a real thing. It's a real it, thing. As much as you try and you know try to work around it, just like a real hangover, it's going to be there. You know, uh, how much do you guys feed off the crowd, or how much? Or in the case of week 11, when we basically weren't there, does it suck the wind out of your sails? Uh, our crowd's hugely important. Yeah, week 11, I was, you know, disappointed looking up in the stands. I mean, you know, if you can come out for week 10, you can week 11. Now, part of that is, and I know all my friends, There's, I've lived here my entire life, but I've got friends who live all over Ohio and different states, and they come home for that game. So we add probably four or 5,000 people to the stands who come home. We're not coming home this week for Thanksgiving, but they came home for the McKinley game. So I was a little disappointed in week 11, but, you know, when we got out to Mansfield, when I got to look at the crowd, it was amazing. When I got to look, you know, over at Hoover at the crowd, it was amazing. And that's who we are. That's who I want to see, you know, this week travel to Columbus, too. And I know I read on Facebook that we chartered four buses, and the four buses are all sold out, and and that's who we are. So they do feed off the crowd uh, when the crowd's there. And, you know, the games we've, you know, I can't hear because I'm up in the box this year. I can't literally can't hear the crowd at all. But my wife tells me, you know, like the East St. Louis game, our crowd was amazing. You know, when our crowd needs to bring it, they bring it. Um, and that's one of the things I love about this town is everybody's passionate about what we do. So we do feed off the crowd. You know, I don't know how much sustain you know, sustenance they get off the crowd, but they get the moments they need from the crowd. So. Yeah, I think really. My only comment to that is, as a crowd, can we at least wait till the play clock starts before we start oh, cheering on that. any kind of third down or or any really important down? Because you know, I I understand it's hard to cheer for a while, mm-hmm. and when you know we're getting loud, we're getting after it for five, ten, fifteen seconds, and look over at the play clock, and it's just now started ticking, and then you see everybody else just dying down. Yeah, everybody just watch the play clock. Mm-hmm. Hold it in, let it build up inside quietly, mm-hmm. and then once the play clock starts, then get after it because then we will affect the game like we can. Have yeah. our team feed off of it. Have the other team possibly not be able to hear their calls. Yeah, I mean that's one of my biggest pet peeves at the games. You know, you got a huge third down coming. Mm-hmm. We just stopped them on second down, so everybody knows what's coming. You get that immediate defense chant, which is awesome. The issue is that it dies out, you know, like you said, before the play clock even starts. Uh, so then their team gets a full 25 seconds yeah. of almost silence. And, you know, I would just wish that as a fan base we could wait a little bit longer. And for some of these teams that do checks at the line or audible at the line or, you know, anything that they're doing, you know, to go along with the snap count. If you can get a right tackle to not hear the snap count, because you're so loud, that might result in a sack just because. you know. So I wish we could hold off a little bit longer and get our chance going when it actually means something, when they're getting up to the line, not you know the 20 seconds beforehand. So you know that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Hank. Uh, I'll say this in, kind of in defense of our fans. is John May- This is John Mazur's phraseology because he's not from here. So when we don't have three helmets, I complain we don't have three helmets. I, I, you know, McKinley's got two helmets. Why the hell do we have two helmets? Why don't we have three? When, you know, Dan Hackenbrack doesn't want to play, doesn't want to practice in the indoor. 
John Major calls them masculine problems. That you actually have a concern that, you know, there's not three helmets, that you have an indoor that you don't want to play in, whatever it might be. So in defense of the fans a little bit, I've been at, and there's nothing against these towns, uh, New Philadelphia and Norton. They don't do crap between the downs, period. So it's a masculine problem when you're, I agree, we would like them to do it at the right time, but that they're there and they're screaming, period. It, it doesn't happen anywhere else. Go to, go to a Jackson game. They're talking about what they got at Starbucks that day and where they're going afterwards. And have you renewed your Shady Hollow membership yet? I mean, you know. So, you know, it's it's a massive problem we have that we have 6,000 people in the stands at Mansfield and they're not cheering at the right time. So, <laughs> Well, you know, that's why we're here to fix our uh, – that's what the Blackstorm Podcast for, to fix those massive problems. Fix the massive problems. <laughs> so, I guess to go along with these massive problems, uh, you know – on paper, all of our playoff wins have been, you know, fairly significant when you uh-huh. look at the score, right? Uh, I was watching a video today. I believe it was, uh, oh, I don't want to say the wrong name, so I'm just not going to say who it was. You know, some local media outlet was doing a video about this upcoming game, and they talked about how the Wadsworth game was similar to other playoff games. You know, mm-hmm. maybe a slower start, but after halftime adjustments. Maybe I like to say we're just wearing on the other team as well. You know, we start to put it together in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from your point of view, and we'll, we'll touch on the Wadsworth game a little bit more in depth. But is there something schematic to where it might be a little bit slower of a start for us? Are we trying to feel out another team, given the old Floyd Mather Mayweather technique, uh, or is it really just battling off the other team's initial emotions? That I think of the that's game? what it is. And, you know, Mays has a good philosophy about what we've been able to do this year. I think the initial is what you say. It's battling off the emotions. It's it's They practice, too. They put together a scheme. You know, McKinley, McKinley kind of unloaded their bucket in the first first series with the boot pass and things like that. So they put together their, thing, their schemes that are going to work, and they're able to do that. Well, what Mays' philosophy is is – we're going to smack you in the face for four four quarters. Can you play all four quarters? And if you look at our stats in the fourth quarter this year, we've been, been pouring them on people. Because when you get hit in the face for that long, you get tired. If you look at the East St. Louis game, in the fourth quarter of that game, they were sucking wind. They were a great football team. But we smacked them and smacked them and smacked them for so long with good players who do things the right way. Something's got to give. So, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. We're feeling out what they're doing. Everybody's going to give us – you know, we've gone into almost every game this season offensively with a scheme for blocking what they do. I think 100% of the teams have come in and they've done something different with their front seven that we have to adjust to, 100%. I mean, they run a base defense and they adjust this way because they know they're going to get smacked in the face if they stay in their best base defense. I mean, one of the things Wadsworth did is they're a 3-3 stack team. Well, you know, we open the game up with Jameer getting 15, Jameer getting 20, and you know whatever it is. So they start throwing in a four-man front, which they don't do. They don't do that. So they were successful in calling those four-man fronts, not by any kind of, I guess, way that we could figure out when they were doing. They were kind of throwing in randomly. They started doing it on first down some, and we figured that out, um, and started to check stuff on first down. But 100% of the 13 teams have come in and done something different, except for uh, St. V. St. V came in, and St. V does what St. V do, does. But every other opponent we've played have loaded. You know, when we, early in the season, we were running power. Well, teams started finding our fullback and loading the entire defense up to that side. Well, you know, we, we forced that issue early on, but we kind of adjusted, and, and we run power now, but we run so much stuff that 
you know, teams early on were not only loading that side, they were spilling us. So they were wrong-arming us. Well, teams have stopped that because we're running so much stuff to the backside now. We're getting leveraged teams. So we can call power whenever we want to. And that's kind of what you face is what we faced last week is, is you know, kind of going to your question is, yeah, we have to kind of adjust to what they're doing because people have come in with completely different stuff than they've done all year. And that hurts them, too, because that gimmick's going to work for a while. And I shouldn't say they were gimmick because those are good coaches doing that. That's going to work for a while, but we're going to adjust. And then can you line up toe-to-toe once we adjust and stay with us the rest of the game? And so far, teams haven't been able to do that. Yeah, um, kind of on that same thing of, you know, seeing a different – an entirely different thing every week. Mm-hmm. We're going into – and this is a very senior-heavy team this year. You know, most of these guys have had a lot of playing time mm-hmm. these last two years. So they're – a lot of these guys are going into their 28th game. Mm-hmm. Are we really seeing anything new overall that we've never seen before? Like, is there a lot of things that we can, you know, go back and call upon? Like, oh, you remember this game? This is kind of what they're looking like or anything like that? Every team pretty much when they make has come out with the same kind of a scheme to try and stop power. So there's been nothing new really. Um I think the biggest thing we've had to do is kind of go in with our game plan based on what they do and, and adjust to that. And, you know, Mays and Trox and, and Kale Miller, those guys do a great job of figuring stuff out quickly and getting adjusted to it. The coolest thing I think I saw this year was Fitch. Fitch did this thing with their nose where every time we would block back, which we were running power a lot still at that point. So that he would block – uh, the no, center would block back on the nose, and their nose would go over the top of the center. I mean, he. at first I thought it was because our guard was pulling. He would see the guard pull his side, and he'd go over the other side because they're getting – what they end up getting is everybody for a gap on the play side, a guy we didn't account for because we're blocking back. We have nobody blocking down on that new A-gap player that's coming in there. And I thought in the first half it was because the guard was pulling, but it was we watched kind of, you know, our, our iPads up there and watched the halftime, he was going on the back block. And, you know, the way Mays adjusted to it is you just told, you know, Justin Gaddis just, you know, blocking vertical. Just he's going to come back, just get him locked on, blocking vertical, whatever, and we adjusted fine. But there are some teams that come in there with some cool stuff, and that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen is a kid having the ability to see the back block get kind of, you know, I guess backwards and vertical and rip over the top of the center and put more people to the play side than we could have, than we could block. And then our cutback lane was was the backside. So that linebacker who normally scrapes over the top is going to go to the A-gap. Well, the nose was now taking that, so he's just sitting there. So they were taking away the cutback lane too. So, you know, you know, we saw that adjusted at halftime and, and figured it out, obviously, because being pretty good. But, you know, you do see things that are wrinkles that, you know, when you watch film, they're not doing against their other opponents. They're doing it against us. And, one, we're good. they got to stop us. Two, is because they want to get the win against Massillon. So... Yeah, to, to go along with that, uh, so kind of a two-part question here. You, you mentioned that you're up in the box, mm-hmm. you know, doing a lot of your work up there. You guys notice things. You guys have a lot of film, uh, the iPads you can work with. Uh, so to go with that, you know, how beneficial is it having all this technology and, you know, even the headsets, that's not a new technology, but being able to relay all this information mm-hmm. back and forth, how beneficial is that? And at the same time, last week when the power went down, mm-hmm. how much did that change for you guys? It didn't, and I'll tell you that story in a second, but having the, the iPads in the box is an amazing thing. To see things either – early in the season, we had one iPad. We'd have to pass back and forth. So if we're on offense, I can't see what's going on because the defense is using it for the prior series. But we've got two iPads uh, now and have for a few weeks now. So if something's happening during the series, I can look at it real time 
this just happened. Here's what they're doing maze. Here's what they're doing trucks, uh, whatever it might be. Um, so it's really revolutionized, and it does it for everybody, you know, both sides of all, because everybody has this now, but it's really revolutionized the ability to make adjustments quickly rather than try to get into cumulative, okay, this series, I'm going to try and write down everything, and then between series, I'm going to try and tell you what they're doing and then accumulate that, then at halftime make an adjustment. You can make an adjustment much more quickly when you're doing that. And they've got the same technology on the sidelines, obviously, with the TV. So they're telling kids real time what they're doing wrong in that last series. Let's fix the next series. Halftime of the game last week, mysteriously, the power went down in our box only. Mysteriously, nobody who worked at Hoover had any idea how to fix it. No idea. But true to Maslin, Matt Keller has two freaking generators in his truck. Cores to hook us back up, so we never went down for a second. In halftime, it kind of it started. We got back in the box. By the time I got plugged in, the iPads were working. The headphones were working because Maslin people are Maslin people. And for whatever reason, Matt Keller has random generators that he can hook up in the sidelines, hook up in the press. I'll get up there and Smitty and, and Matt are running wire and got the generator running so we can get back up to speed before a second half kickoff occurs. So that would have changed things. It would have changed things a great deal if we didn't have the availability to do that. We would have, you know, adjusted, figured out whatever to do. But uh, only Maslin would have generators there. And people and people who are so focused on, you know, they had the story in the paper today about what it takes to go someplace. It's unbelievable what Smitty and Matt and, and Burke and those guys do to get us from point A to point B and have stuff like that available. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, only Maslin. I mean, that's, you know, the kind of thing you say all the time that stuff only happens here. But so it didn't really affect anything, fortunately, but it's only because we're Maslin. We had random generators. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you said, Maslin problem is not having your crowd cheer correctly at the correct time. Another Maslin problem is your. And only your press box losing power at, at halftime. Weirdly. I can't understand that. Very odd. Very odd. Um, kind of going along with what you're saying about, you know, feeling out the game, feeling mm-hmm. out what they're doing, and just wearing your opponent down. Mm-hmm. It's always in the been in the back of my mind, and I just want to know your thoughts on or, the, you know, the rest of the guys' thoughts on it, is if we do what we do, you know, feel a guy out or feel a team out. And if we ever dig ourselves too deep in a hole doing that to where we can't come back in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. is that is that ever a thing in you or the rest of staff's mind? No. I mean, currently, I mean, that, that can't be in your mind as a, as a coach. You can't approach things that this is going to be a, a crap storm and, and what do we do. We know what we can do, and we assume we're going to do that. I mean, you have to assume as a coach you're going to do that because why practice, why put the game plan together? You make the assumption when you're doing that stuff that this is going to work. Now, if it doesn't work, you know, we've got guys on staff, like, you know, like I said, Trox, Kale, and those guys that can adjust on the fly, and they're, they're fun to listen to when they're, when they're doing that stuff. They're just so smart and so tuned into everything uh, that that's never something that goes through your head. You know, if that starts to occur, you adjust. And, and you know, those guys don't panic. Uh, they're calling the plays and signaling the plays and so on. They, they never panic. So, you know, that's never something that really crosses your mind. It, it, you know, it obviously could happen, but in your thought process can never be that way. So, What you said about panicking, and we saw it a lot last year, mm-hmm. and I think really only once really this year during the uh, – the one at Ridge game mm-hmm. where Coach Moore gets everybody into one big huddle, tells them whatever he has to tell them, mm-hmm. you know. 
how important is that to understand the concept of, and I'm stealing this from my number one sports movie of all time, The Replacements. Mm-hmm. He talks about quicksand. You know, yeah. when you're, you're struggling, you're flailing, mm-hmm. and you just sink deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. You, you just need to relax yep. and let, you know, think about it for a second. And you'll you'll be able to, when you're clear-headed, fix the problem more easily. Yeah. How important is that to have a coach that seems to be able to recognize that, get his guys together, take a deep breath, yep. and get us back to doing what we do? Uh, it's huge, and, and Nate is great at doing that, seeing the big picture type of thing. And Nate has hired guys like Craig, like Mays, like Trox, like you know the rest of the staff that are able within what he does. He, he He's really hands-off with those guys because he knows he has great football coaches. So he's hands-off with those guys, and he's going to do what he's going to do like he did in the Walnut Ridge game to big concept thing. Hey, focus up. Listen to these guys. And then, you know, Mays and Trox and, and Craig and those guys take over and – and they're able to very quickly fix anything that's going wrong. So, I mean, that that's kind of one of those things where he's going to – Coach Moore's going to take that aspect of it and fix the big picture type stuff while Mays and Craig and Trox and Craig are working on fixing, you know, the micro aspect of it. So he'll take the macro aspect of it. He's going to turn over everything to those guys around the micro. And it, it, it is. It's important to have that, I guess, balance to do that. Yeah, I mean, only once – you know, pretty much all year, we really had to, you know, bring the team together uh, for that during the Walnut Ridge game. But to go with it, I like to touch on two games in the regular season. You know, obviously the McKinley game, so many emotions, so much passion. It, the game means so much. So you're always a little bit more focused into that. Uh, it's a tougher game just to begin with. You know, it doesn't matter what the records are every single year. Uh, but I also like to look at the East St. Louis game mm-hmm. because that was a long, hard-fought game. Yep. You know, we were down early. You know, we're not once all year have we been down big. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've never had to really dig out of that hole, like you right. said. You know, our coaches do a really good job at that. Um, but we were down, and we just kept fighting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the team does have a little bit of experience with that. Right. You know, but besides, you know, those one that one game really – you know, not a whole lot of experiences playing from behind. Right. But when we did, it seemed like they, they didn't panic. They had no issue. We just right. battled the whole game. So, I mean, is there anything, any mindset that you really instill into the players about just, you know, obviously we have that fourth quarter mindset, but, mm-hmm. you know, if it were to happen, you you were down a couple of stores. Is there anything in the back of their head they can go back to? I don't think it's anything we've done. I think the kids, the kids, like I said, practice the rear ends off. I think they believe in Mays and Trox and Craig and the rest of the guys that coach them. And, you know, besides those guys, like I've talked about, you know, a lot here being very focused and very calm and, and fixing things, I think we have a bunch of kids that are the same way. I don't ever see panic in these kids. I don't know if it's just because, you know, I'm at practice every day and I've never – we've kind of implemented, amazing guys, a, philosophy, a practice philosophy. So there's a culture now in practice. They never have to be told to practice hard, run around hard, whatever it might be. It's fun to watch them in practice. I've never been around anything like it. Uh, as far as high school kids working that hard. So I think they have confidence in everything that they do and everything they've done in preparation that if they do get down, they know it's going to get better. They know in their abilities. They know their coaches' abilities to call the right plays, the right defenses. And I just think they have confidence in it. I think, you know, I think they see that. I think East St. Louis kind of helped that a little bit. But I never saw any panic out of the kids in that game either. So I think it's just kind of a cultural thing that has been put in place that the kids believe in everything that's going on. 
And that's the biggest thing. If you doubt, that's when you start to, you know, when you get down and doubt, that's going to be a big problem. But I don't think these kids doubt anything. I think they know what they can do, and they do it. So. Yeah, so to kind of transition a little bit, get more into your coaching fullbacks this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is honestly my favorite skill position just because it's basically a number-eligible lineman right. as far as our offense uses them. How are our you know fullbacks doing this year? I know they're a tremendous job, but how do you coach like a skill position group that essentially is another lineman. You know, you don't have any stats in the book, and really any stat that would show up would be a negative one, like a hold or something right. like that. Well, I mean, I, I started out coaching them individually, teaching them what to do, but it's really transitioned later in the season into everything we do, we go over with a lineman. So he really he is an extra lineman, and I'm just there with him, so I coach him specifically, but he's part of, of Maze's scheme of what we're doing. Um Brock Orr has done a great job. Brock Orr is a smart kid. I mean, he, he's a tough kid, strong kid, uh, but he's also a smart kid. Because the thing that the thing you need to understand about fullback is his job. He's kind of like linebackers on defense. Linebackers make the front four correct. So if the front four go to a gap they're not supposed to, the linebacker fixes that by seeing where he's at. But if you know on offense, Brock, uh, you know Nick Liebler was in there because Brock got injured in the McKinley game, got dinged up a little bit in the head. Uh, Hunter wants. They have to make their linemen right. So Mays teaches those linemen, you know, awesomely, and they know what they're doing. But if they screw up, the responsibility is on the fullback to see the screw up and fix it. So if if, if their tackle is supposed to block down, run a power, and he bases out on the five technique, you know, Brock's supposed to kick out the five technique, then Brock is smart enough that he will get up inside and take care of who he's got to take care of. So Brock has been able he's, – he's really good at adjusting. And, you know, when, when Brock got dinged up in the McKinley game and I lost him for two weeks basically, you know, put a sophomore kid in there, Nick Liebler, and, and you know, Nick made some mistakes, but kind of the same thing. And Hunter Wants does the same thing. They they, they are able to, you know, Hunter Wants is a, is a wrecking ball. So he just likes to hit you and whatever. And the first couple of weeks, I kind of crap canned him, not out of there, but told him you're not going to play for me unless you, you – it isn't just lining up and going to hit somebody. Because you got to know what you're doing. Just because you got the five technique pre-snap, if that five technique goes inside, you better know you got to get up and get that scrape linebacker that's coming outside or the Sam's coming off the edge or whatever's going to happen there. Because your guy's gone, you can't stand there with your thumb up your rear end and figure out, you know, who I hit now. So our fullbacks have done a great job of making the offensive lineman right. Uh, and Brock is Brock is really, really good at it. He's, he's good at it. You know, he makes mistakes, but he's good at correcting their mistakes. So that's kind of what it is, an extra lineman. But it's that guy who's off the ball that can see what's happening to fix things to make sure the ball goes forward because he's blocking somebody that should have been blocked. So kind of digging into that a little deeper, how holistically do you teach like the scheme or each individual play to your fullback? You know, like how much do they know what the intent of the play is compared to what their job should be in the play? They do. They know what their job should be, and we rep what their job should be, but we talk all the time during either the walkthroughs or whatever that if X happens, then you got to do Y. And it's on you completely. you got to figure it out in the game. You're, if you're to block the five technique or you're to wrap on, the, on number one in the box from the backside, that's what you're heading to do. But you got to know what the scheme of this play is so that if, if things break down, you got to know where to go. So if you're wrapping the one in the box from the backside – and that guy comes off the edge, well, you end up being a kick out. 
you got to find number one, no matter where number one's at, and make our front four or front five guys correct. And it's hard to do sometimes. I mean, there was a couple times, you know, one of the schemes that Wadsworth had is either two to fullback or away, they would they would bring two linebackers up in the box, you know, A gap, B gap, whatever it might be. And Brock ended up supposed to be on a wrap to a backer and kicking out that backer a lot of times. So he would meet that guy. He'd come down the line. He'd see where he's coming. He'd kick that guy out. We'd get up inside for a good game. And that's, you know, the hard part to do about being a fullback is he, more than any alignment, really has to adjust to what's going on. So he has to know the scheme of the play to know, okay, well, I, you know, I've got that linebacker, but he's blitzing. So one of his linemen are probably going to pick him up if he's blitzing. No, you got that guy, and you got to know you got that guy no matter where he's at. So – you know, they do – fullbacks probably, you know, more than the tailbacks, you know, as far as the backs go, have to know holistically what's going on for the whole play to make it right. So you talked about the different kind of reads your fullback has to make and, you know, making sure that it flows correctly with what mm-hmm. the line does. Uh, so you talked about a few adjustments that Wadsworth made defensively, as does every team. Uh, so just in general, you know, how well did our fullbacks do you know, along with the line? How well did it mesh last game with against Wadsworth? Did very well. I mean, that's you know they did. They brought the four man front, which they don't usually do. They're they're a three three stack team, and they've been successful at that. And it's the one team this year besides St. B that kind of has always just stayed in what they did. And they started out the game that way, but they threw that wrinkle in. The blitzing they've always done too. Uh, they kind of blitzed according to what we do offensively, so it was a good game plan on their part. But I think you know. Uh, Brock did an excellent job last week of, of figuring that stuff out quickly. He didn't really make mistakes. I think I think Brock graded out like a 87%, but I'm pretty hard on Brock. I mean, if he doesn't take the right first step, I give him a one instead of a two. Um, and it's really because he doesn't have to do much. So I'm not hard on him because I you know want to be tough on him. I'm hard on him because he doesn't have to do a lot. So if I want him to take a left foot for, uh, step first, take it. I mean, that's that's what you got to do. Um you know, and and he understands that. Like you know, Nick has a hard time doing that. When I say left foot step, you know, if we're kicking out to the right, I make them take a vertical step into the line uh, with their left foot. If we're kicking out right, and push off that foot and kick out. And the reason I do that is because our tackles, when we're running power things like that, they're leaving quickly. So at least early on in the season, teams were spilling us. So if you are taking, if you're playing, if you're on the right side and you're kicking out the right side and that end out there, and you take a step with your outside foot, it's a random step. You don't know what course that guy's going to take. So I'm trying to get them to rub as close to the fullback's rear end as I can, so that as he leaves, where we're kind of replacing him, and that guy shouldn't have a chance to get really underneath us. And so it's an important thing. And like I said, Brock is really early on in the summer. I had him doing that, and then Brock didn't feel comfortable doing it, so I let them do what he wanted to do. And the first game or two, he didn't really grade that well because it was that kind of thing where he was taking an arbitrary step to where that guy was. And he doesn't know what course that guy's going to take. Is that going to leverage, come up field, or is he going to come underneath? So when you take a step at him, the ability to get back underneath him if he comes underneath you is going to be very difficult to do. So I made him, I switched him back like in week three, I think it was, and he's he's been very loyal to doing what he's supposed to do as far as taking that step, and it's helped him out. Uh, the younger guys, like, you know, when I had Brian, when I had Ben Creek bomb in there, Ben did a great job of doing that too. But Ben plays so much defense, we're kind of trying to keep him out of offense unless it's necessary. In the beginning of the game, it was necessary. When Brock got hurt, it was necessary for Creek to go in there, and Creek graded like a 93% uh, with very, really very little reps going into that week. Nick Liebler has a very difficult time doing that. His vertical step with his inside foot is kind of a pivot on his outside foot. 
and it doesn't get him anything because he's he more or less pivoting. He's not getting any forward momentum. And Hunter Watts kind of does the same thing. And now they'll get better at it. But, you know, Nick Lieber kind of got thrown in there to do, you know, when Brock got hurt, we put Creek in there, but we didn't want to use Creek because he's such a big part of our defense that we didn't want anything to happen to him. So we made a transition to a sophomore. And, you know, he really he, – he graded pretty – not so well the first time he played, but he graded very well second time he started at fullback. And now he's kind of rotated back out a little bit because Rock's doing better. Uh, but – you know, I grade them very hard at what they do, and it, it you know it's imperative that they fix everything. I mean, it's like linebacker; they they have to fix everything. So those guys up front, we're asking them. Mays asked them to do a million things with a million calls, and they're going to make mistakes, but they're going to do 100 miles an hour and hit somebody. So it's up to Brock to fix it, and he's been pretty successful doing that. Yeah, just as an offensive lineman and really as an offensive lineman nerd, it, it's kind of interesting to hear about how that vertical step up field is, say, similar to a like a smash step. A lot of mm-hmm. a, a lot of guys coach on the inside zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just you know that's just my inner nerd coming out, and I'm, I I just want to vocalize that it's cool to hear that stuff. Um, you know, touch on other stuff from the Wadsworth game. Was there anything else that stood out to you or any really during the game, say clock to clock, anything you want to talk about? I think the thing stood out to us. I think our I think we adjusted well, played well, so on and so forth, but I think you really got to see and they probably felt it for their our kids hit the crap out of Wadsworth. I mean, you know, I could hear it up in the box, but you could see some of the impacts. Their running backs were by the end of that game, they were hurting. About mid game they were hurting. Um, that's one of the things that kind of goes into our fourth quarter philosophy. I mean, it's not really a stated philosophy. But that's kind of what I, you know talked about earlier. Is we're going to keep pounding you, as our kids across the board hit the crap out of you. I don't care what it is. Nobody's soft hitting anybody. Everybody is taking it to you every play. And it's like May says, can you stand up for that? You know, can you stand up to that for four quarters? Can you do it? And so far, teams haven't been able to do that. You know, East St. Louis included. East St. Louis had talent all over the place. But when it got down to it, we hit them enough times that they just didn't have it in the gas tank at the end of that game. So, Yeah, and Rob, I'll let you you know talk about anything you want to talk about. But I, I thought it was really interesting how really pass-happy we got there. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they were playing off. It's like what we've had uh, Mays and Trox on here before talking about. You know, you take what the defense gives mm-hmm. you. And when a corner's playing – eight nine ten yards off ballard Mm -hmm. and he's flipping his hips already with like an eight yard cushion and we can just throw that out route all night i mean i'll take that i'm happy about that um i thought you know defensively they kind of talked about you know we had some misassignments that we can really improve upon Mm -hmm. this week and beyond that i thought we played a great game and massive tiger football yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I almost forgot. You know, we did hit a couple of those, like, 10-yard outs over and over and over when they were playing off. And, you know, that was nice to see uh, just because they were giving it to us. Not something we saw a lot most of the year. Um, a lot of the our passes were, you know, on the outside were either tag screens or, you know, mm-hmm. deep deep routes. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's definitely good to adjust to what they're doing. Just adds one more thing a defense has to worry about. Uh, I think our offense, you know, did, you know, pretty well. In general, I know Wadsworth used a lot of clock. Oh, he's mm-hmm. kind of what they try to do is use a lot of the clock, yeah. uh, which didn't really help them that much because our offense was pretty efficient. I thought we uh, we had a few bad spots 
you know, by the referees a few <laughs> times that, that yeah. may have hurt us, you know, but that that's just me being a fan up in the stands, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, but I think our offense did pretty well. Defensively, I know we gave up a good amount of yards, but we didn't really give up the scores to go with it. So right. at the end of the day, that's really the only thing that matters. Uh, so I was, I was glad that we were able to keep them out of the end zone. One thing that I know, you know, they talked about at the Booster Club meeting, uh, both, you know, Dean Clark, who was one of the, the guest players at the meeting, as well as the coaches, that they wanted to focus on tackling a little bit better this week. They thought they, you know, they, we could have done better tackling last week and moving forward playing, you know, a very athletic team like Wooden Woods, who just has an outstanding running back is, you know, tackling is going to be a big focal point for this week. So, I mean, I know that you coach offense uh, fullbacks this year, but you, you know, you're all around, you know, a lot about football on both sides of the ball. Uh, so just touching on it real quick, um, you know, how big, I mean, was there an aspect that you heard about when it came to like tackling or how much of a focal point is that this week? It's a big focal point. I, I think every week. I think just was a week last week for whatever reason the kids just didn't tackle as well. Uh, but I watch them work on it, you know, all the time. So I know they do it, and I don't know, you know, they're teenage kids. I can't really say what the difference was between previous weeks and last week. Um, but I, you know, I don't think there was a renewed emphasis on let's do more tackling stuff during practice. Because the biggest thing with Winton Woods, from what I can see from their offensive side of the ball, our defense side of the ball is they are so successful, they don't run a ton of stuff. They have packages, more or less. They have you know, a flexbone-type package where they're going to run three or four plays and two or three passes off that. You know, They're spread, they're going to do the same thing. And they do kind of the same thing de- defensively. They give you a million fronts, but it's not really a million fronts. It's just kind of three different fronts that they they throw at you from play to play. It didn't seem like for any rhyme or reason. They just you know call bear one series. They call under one series or whatever it might be, or one – play you know they might switch it up three times in the play but the offense does the same thing if things aren't working in spread they're going to come out in a flex bone they're going to run option at you they're going to run read option at you you know triple and, and so on and i think that's how they're able to be successful down there is that coach with all that talent isn't putting in eight million plays he's putting in a very limited amount of plays and they're getting really good at doing those things and they got skill kids to be able to do that so you know that's the challenge for craig and i've, I've been watching you know what's been going on this weekend i think they got a good plan and the kids are picking it up. You know, it was a little dicey on Monday at practice on both sides of the ball because I think you find a lot of teams, and, and we did this, you know, when you guys played, is Monday was kind of walkthrough day. And we we full practice on Monday. We full practice on Tuesday. We full practice on Wednesday. So we don't do that. So we put the game plan in place, and we basically send the game plan to the kids on huddle, and it's their responsibility to see it. Well, that, that's all well and good. But you get out there in the field, and, you know, Monday practices are kind of choppy sometimes, which is fine because then we note up the film. We send the film with the kids. The kids see what they did wrong, and our kids have done a great job. When Tuesday rolls around, it's it's a really good practice. Now, I like the way we practice because in the past, doing that walkthrough on Monday, that day is gone. So if you get out there on Tuesday and, and things aren't very good, you got basically Wednesday because Thursday is your walkthrough today, walkthrough day. So we stay in pads all week, even on Thursdays. You know, that's – I remember when – I've been here with so many coaches, but we did, did a thing one year where it's when Kovacs was here, so I think Hall was here, where we'd have Monday be walkthrough, Tuesday would be kind of priority offense day with a very, you know, like a fifth, you know, 15, 20-minute defense period, and then you flip it the next day. And everybody has different philosophies what you do things, but the thing you ran into is when we had 20 minutes on Monday for defense, I was coaching linebackers then, uh, or let's let's just flip it because I, I think we went first. So if we had Tuesday practice was 
heavy defense, and we didn't like our scheme we got into on the practice, you got 20 minutes the next day to freaking get it fixed. So, you know, I think the way we do things now allows for those mistakes on Monday going full speed to fix on Tuesday, and we're still going full go. You know, there's not individual periods. It's more or less just running team stuff on offense and defense, but it gives you that extra day we have in the past, and we've done that for 13 weeks now going, you know, 14, this is the 14th week of doing that, and the kids don't practice any less hard. So I think, like I said earlier, when you establish a culture about this is the way we're going to do things, then the kids just respond to it. Yeah, uh, that's awesome to hear. You know, I I remember exactly what you're talking about. We had, you know, a priority position one day, mm-hmm. and then the next was the other. And I can see exactly how that how, how much of a challenge that would present. You know, that mm-hmm. I, as a player, you didn't really notice it. You just kind of mm-hmm. did it, and you went through it. And, yeah. Now taking a step back and looking at it, it's good to see we've kind of we fixed it mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, just kind of putting a bow on the Wadsworth game. You know, I thought that team specifically they were a class act. Our um, our honorary captain, mm-hmm. um, yep. that at the end of the game, Cameron, yep. Cameron, yeah. Uh, their team, everybody made a point to walk up. You know, uh, mm-hmm. give him a high five, talk to him, whatever. That's a class act right there. Yep. You know, that's not something that we've played some teams in the past that not everybody would do. Right, no. Um, I thought they played a clean game. Mm-hmm. And really, any of my objections with what happened on Friday is not with Wadsworth themselves. No. I teach up in Norton, and it's right next to Wadsworth, obviously. And I found out during last week how many people don't like Wadsworth. Because Wadsworth kind of like Jackson, so you know you can understand that. But uh, they were. I mean, they had a good game plan. They worked hard. I told people up there all week, "Ah, you guys are going to kill Wadsworth." I said, "Hey, they're twelve and zero too. You don't get to be twelve and zero by being a slouch football team." And they showed that on Friday night. They had a good plan going in both sides of the ball. We were fortunately able to adjust to it and, and make some plays. Uh, but they were. I mean, they were of the playoffs so far. Yeah, that was by far the most balanced game. Good kids that just want to play football and win the game and and not going to do crap after the play to, you know, like we saw first two weeks. Wasn't, wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, like you said about uh, Hoover, you know, they really showed who they are. Mm-hmm. And Correct. Uh, fingers crossed we never have to play there again. And Hey, let's join the Federal League. They'll love us. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we touched on it last week and really it showed itself again. I've – up to this point, really, I've been kind of like flip flopping on are the refs like just that incompetent? Just because of more talked on this in the week eleven booster club, mm-hmm. you know how you get like you just pull them into a group of the best refs mm-hmm. and then pick them. They get put into a crew of guys they don't know yeah. and then get thrown into a position that they're probably not used to. Yep. And I've been kind of torn between, oh, are they just not used to the position? Are they just bad at it here? Or is Madison getting homered? And my impression, I'm not asking you to speak on this at all. Mm. My impression is it's a combination of a hard both. (laughs) That it's, you know, as a fan, it's hard to watch sometimes. And others, it's just, it seems like a lot of calls are going against us. You know, every team's going to say, oh, that call, you know. Every team wants to say the call's against them, but... Mm. We're Maslin. We know how OSHA as an organization feels about us. Mm-hmm. So that's just how I feel. Kind of, you know, looking ahead now to Winton Woods. Um, 
I know you're on the offense, so you know what their defense looks like. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any any impressions of what their offense looks like? What they might, you know, uh, just touch on their offense a little bit from what you know. Well, before I hit that, I'll, I'll wrap up the referee thing. State of Ohio is idiotic. State of Ohio, they have referee ratings all year long, and they just they pull people together. So you might have an umpire that's been a back judge the whole year that gets assigned by the state to do whatever. The crew we have, I guess, the most for some, most of our biggest game is, is Tony Montana or Tony Montana's crew. And not if you know who that is. There, I think you know they're the young signer, Steubenville based. But we've had them for Steubenville, Warren, McKinley. They work the big games, and they know each other, and they blow calls, but they all know each other, and they let you play football unless something's egregious. Well, it seems like these officials we've been getting in the playoffs want to show how good of an official they are by first thing they do is throw a flag. And I think that's partially because whoever's ahead of that crew, like, you know, Tony's not going to let his crew go crazy throwing flags. He's going to pull them in and say, that's enough. Well, these guys are all independent contractors, basically, who don't know each other, who the guy who's running the show doesn't have the authority to tell them that because they kind of been assigned to their position. So I think that's kind of what you see. You see, you know, a combination of the state doesn't like us. You know, when we were, I think, week one, week 11 in the, play, or week 11 in the playoffs, we were booing the officials because they basically weren't very good. And the guys running on the sidelines saying to our coaches, oh, real class act, real – shut up. You're not out there to either talk to our kids, which they've done. You're not out there to comment on the fans. You're there to, to officiate the game. So shut up and officiate the game and do a better job. So, all right, on to Winton Woods. Uh, <laughs> offensively, Winton Woods, you know, their quarterback and their tailback are the real deal. They're good. And what they do with them makes it very difficult defensively to defend everything they do. So, uh, you know, Craig's got a good plan together. Kids are, you know, have to be on their keys, and they're going to be. Uh, but it's just going to come down to, you know, we're week 14. We're all good now. And these guys have a tailback that's really good, a quarterback that's really good. Their offensive line solid. Receivers are solid. Uh, so defensively, it's going to come down to just running to the ball, especially running to the ball. Run the ball, wrap up, because these kids, you know, have the ability to make the big cuts. So everybody has to get to the ball in a hurry. And that's, that's everybody coaches that. That's basic defense. And Craig does the same thing. Uh, defensively, it's probably one of the top two to three defenses we face this year, including East St. Louis. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a challenge as well. I think to me, watching the film, uh, their weakness is in the secondary and one of our strengths is in the secondary. So we're going to try to exploit that like we did last week. You know, we've you know they play a lot of man, uh, almost exclusively. You know, running running man uh, in the secondary, and I think they're going to stick with that philosophy because that's what they do. But you know, we do have some dudes out there that can run also. So it's not just you know last year they were able to get us because we were still good at receiver uh, with Austin and people like that out there. But we weren't as good overall. Uh, you know, Aiden was still kind of getting his legs, and they manned up, and they just brought a bull rush every single time. You know, I think our line is is very good this year. They're going to give Aiden time, and Aiden's, you know, he sees things. It just it, it amazes me what he can see. But if you, you know, but our kids that he's throwing to aren't just running. You know, when Jaden got that touchdown, first touchdown last week, that wasn't his route. All right, he's going vertical, and he saw that wasn't there, so he just broke it off and sat in the hole. And our kids have a, a kind of a universal, every one of them, ability to do that. Uh, you know, Austin was great at it last year. Um, 
Adric Ford is the guy to kind of replace Austin. So we run kind of our Z post deal. I don't care, you know, he's got a static route he's supposed to hit. But he sees as he's on his way out there where the hole is. And he break. you know, if it's supposed to be a post, it's going to be a 30-yard post route. And it's open at 15. He's going to break over 15. And Aiden's going to find him. And then it's just catch the ball and run and come tackle me. So, you know, we've done a great job with that. Yeah, to, to touch on uh, Winwood's offense a little bit more, we'll, we'll jump into that. Uh, it all goes through their running back. I mean, he's he's pretty good. He, I mean, yeah. he has over 2,700 yards yep. on the year and, uh, what is it, 36 touchdowns. So, I mean, he's he's pretty impressive as a back. That That's the guy you have to stop. Um, at the Booster Club meeting, they mentioned that Wynn Woods runs the ball 70% north, of the time. North of 70%, at least yeah. 70% uh, run. Uh, the quarterback, he's only a sophomore. Um, he's 52% as a passer, has 871 yards on the year, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, to go with that, he has nine rushing touchdowns and 683 rushing yards. Uh, the little film that I saw, it looked like he was kind of a, a one-read kind of quarterback. I didn't mm-hmm. see much film, but at least on what I did see, he kind of predetermined who he was going to throw it to before he before the play even started. Uh, he wasn't kind of scanning back and forth across the field. So uh, I think with our coverage, that, that might be something. They might have a harder time passing. They do have some great athletes, and it seems like he threw a decent ball. So, I mean, I'm sure they're going to take some shots, and you know we're going to have to make plays, but... Uh, I think just from the basis, they're they're mostly a run team, and that's what they're going to try to stick to the most. Uh, they have some good receivers to go with it. Uh, the one thing that's worth noting is that they've had a lot of injuries this year on both sides of the ball, um, but especially up front. You know, if on the roster sheet that we are given, uh, I mean, they have nine, ten different linemen listed because some of them got injured. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure when. They got injured. You know, it's completely different to lose somebody week one than it is week 13. Right. So I don't know when the injuries occurred, but they are down a couple of people across the board. Uh, So, I mean, they're still putting up big numbers. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's a pretty quality team on offense. I don't know what else you want to touch on with that. I mean, yeah, they kind of they like to live out of the spread, you know, a two by two or three by one. Um, They'll move to that flex bone like we saw a lot last year, a little bit. I think they played that more last year. I, I asked about this at the Booster Club, that they played that more last year because their quarterback last year, he was much more of a dude than mm-hmm. who they have this year. Not to take away from him, but he was much more of a threat as a runner than who they have now. And really, like you said, they're trying to funnel the entire offense through the running back with the flex bone. You know, the thing about the option is, oh, you get to – you get to option a guy instead of blocking him, so you get mm-hmm. the numbers on your side. But as a defense, we get to decide who has the ball. Right. So that's the thing that you might not see with that, you know, flex bone or generally any option team as much is if you have a disparity in who's the better athlete, you know, you're going to see more called gives to that better athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, you know, we've stopped the zone before. I think Warren Harding was, uh, it, almost like now that I think about it, a Wittenwood's light mm-hmm. in that, you know, they have a bunch of athletes everywhere. Nice line, but the running back's the dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. he, the running back himself seems much more of very similar to the East St. Louis running backs. Uh, run hard. You have to tackle, yep. you know. 
like we like we already touched on tackle, tackle, yeah. tackle. Um, and I think if we can bring him down, don't try and mitigate the mistakes. I think we can bottle him up enough. Mm-hmm. Um, passing wise, like you said, you know, seventy percent run, thirty percent pass, fifty percent passer. Period. So his arm doesn't really scare me, uh, and. Our secondary, like we've touched on, is I think a stronger point of our defense mm-hmm. where we can lock who they have down. Um, switching over to defense, they run uh, 3-4, kind of a similar front structure to what we run. Mm-hmm. Uh, not on the back end, it's more of a man-free, you know, cover one, and what a couple of 5-8 corners. I think that's something we'll be able to exploit with, you know, a six four receiver with an offer mm-hmm. from Ohio State and a six six receiver that plays taller. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean on the back end we'll touch on that first. Um you know, their two corners are both five eight, one sixty, both their safeties, uh five ten, one eighty, five nine, one ninety. Uh so they're not the biggest group, you know, of course they're all gonna be athletic. Uh but it is gonna be tough for them to guard, you know, some of our tall receivers. And, you know, the group we have at receivers this year, you know, especially with the game plan that I know we're going to put in place for a team that runs almost exclusively man-to-man, uh, I think it's going to be tough for them. This is a team that's lived in man all year. They bring a lot of pressure. And uh, something that more up your alley that you're going to have to deal with, uh, it seems like their defensive line is pretty good. I mean, both their ends have D1 offers. I know the one is only a sophomore, the younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh Andrew Rooker, he's the younger brother. He does have a D1 offer. Uh, they said that he sometimes, you can tell he's a sophomore, makes yeah. mistakes. Uh, older brother, Anthony Booker, he has an offer to Kentucky. Uh, they said he's, you know, a pretty good, pretty good player. And then the nose tackle is 5'10", 338 pounds. And uh, some people say he's maybe the best player on their defense. So yeah, up good. front, they're pretty tough. And uh, I know that's a little bit more up your alley with the fullbacks on how you have to right. block. And uh, just the schemes, they bring a lot of pressure. So probably a lot of different things you have to look for this they week. They actually don't bring a ton of pressure. They just kind of sit in what they do, and they bring pressure sometimes, but it's going to be more edge pressure, and it's going to be up the middle pressure. Um, but, you know, 88 good, 58 the kid you were talking about is really good. I mean, he's he's, he's going to be a handful for us to handle. I think we'll have a lot of double teams on him, be able to do that without a problem. Uh, you know, their ends are both good. Like you said, the sophomore kid uh, is not – he's going to be great. I mean, he's going to be great. But he's a sophomore kid, and, and he still makes some of those sophomore mistakes. Linebackers are solid, number seven, and just he's a stud. I mean, he's like number five a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, you know – Scheme-wise, we're not really doing anything that we haven't done in the past. Um, you know, Brock fullbacks are going to do what they've been doing. Really hasn't changed much, and that's kind of been a solid thing for us. We're not going in and changing schematically every week. And and you know, well, what do these guys give us? Let's change the blocking schemes. The kids you know, know what they're doing, whether it be the offensive line. But they are solid. They're a top two or three defense that we've played this year. So it's it's going to be tough, and we have to try to exploit what they're going to give us. Yeah, so uh, one other notable injury, I guess, for the defense is they lost their one of their linebackers, uh, one of their star linebackers. Uh, but we're not entirely sure if he's going to be out this week or not. Uh, so there's the possibility that he could be back. We're, yeah. we're not entirely sure about that. But uh, uh, they did. He was injured at least a couple of weeks ago. So he may be back, maybe not. But uh, 
uh, just one more yeah. piece of, of their team that might be down. Yeah, just a couple things I noticed. Um, well, one real general comment is when you have speed off the edge, that's one thing that's hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think this year we've done a really good job of you can run those guys off and yeah. your quarterback step up in the pocket and make the throw. Right. You know, but when you have a nose guard or you can get interior pressure that can really push the pocket right. and not leave your quarterback any room to step up that causes problems. I think the biggest example I'd point to is say the Super Bowl this past year with the Eagles versus the Patriots where they could get some solid interior pressure mm-hmm. and that didn't leave Tom Brady any, any room to step up, you know. That I'm not saying we're the Patriots, mm-hmm. but we're, we're pretty close. So <laughs> You know, if we can hold that interior, it doesn't matter how much speed they have off the edge because they've shown, just from what I've seen, that their ends, they'd rather run the hoop than mm-hmm. kind of work back inside or anything. Right. Yeah. And that if, you know, we give, if we give Aiden a clean pocket, that gives him room to step up. And just one other thing I've, I've kind of picked up, I've, I assume you guys have as well, that when they go three down against some obvious passing sets, they like to bring pressure. That's their pressure set. It's kind of like yeah. uh, when Kovacs was here, that was our pressure set too. Three-man front, It was we called a Buckeye when he was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was our pressure set, and you're right. It's, that's when they want to bring the pressures when they're in a three-man set. So, And then when they go four down, they're more prone to maybe bringing that extra guy in mm-hmm. kind of a man-free defense. You have an extra guy to play with. But they – or just flat out rush four, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just another thing. Maybe you can look at with the game inside the game. You know, if you listen to this podcast, you can point out somebody that doesn't while you're at the game. Like, oh, they got three guys down. They're bringing pressure here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, special teams. I had nothing really. Just, yeah, just a few things to touch on. I mean, their kicker uh, has a strong leg when it comes to kickoffs. I mean, he's put uh, thirty eight touchbacks this year so uh i mean our kickoff return has been such a huge part of our i mean it's been so big for us this year we might not get an opportunity to return many kicks if at all this week uh so it's really gonna you know put a little bit more pressure on the offense than normal um but when it comes with it his leg isn't quite as strong for field goals for whatever reason he's he's got a great leg on kickoff not quite as good on field goals can still make field goals but not as far as you'd expect for somebody that kicks as strong as he does. Uh, when it comes to punting, uh, they mostly use their quarterback, and it's just kind of like a quick kick, similar to what they did last year. At the same time, they do have a traditional punt that they'll line up in every now and then. Uh, so statistically, it's actually better on uh, when they do their quick kick than their normal kick, or than a regular traditional punt. So not entirely sure why or when they do those, but they do have the ability to do both. Um but probably see more of the quick kick from them. Uh, and then when it comes to return, you know, they just have a bunch of athletes. Uh, so a lot of speed that you're going to have to account for. And just real quick, I mean, I have nothing left. Before we get into our lightning round and get out of here, do you have anything else you want to add? Go Tigers. I mean, get to week 15 and win a state championship. I told the kids a couple weeks ago that I'm freaking getting old. I'm 52. Time's running out for me to get a ring. So <laughs> – I can't play anymore. They need to get to the state championship and get me a damn ring. And to do that, they got to beat Wooden Woods. Correct. So, I mean, it's a big week for everybody and, you know, excited to get down there. Uh, so, I mean, with that, uh, we'll jump right into our 
lightning round for anybody that's listened to our podcast. Every time we have a guest, we like to do a little rapid fire questions for them. So Hank and I are going to go back and forth and uh, spit some of our questions at you. The idea is just to get an answer off as quick as possible. We recycle most of our questions because uh, it's hard to find good questions. So if anybody out there has good questions, yeah. you know, send them to us. We, it, we need good questions. As far as, you know, PG, lightning round questions, the well is fairly shallow. <laughs> it's hard it, to find them. So. There's not much to draw from. But real quick, housekeeping there, Rob, you forgot about. Because, uh, you know, it... You gotta. It's important. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta work clean this house. in before the end. That um, if you want to, you know, follow us social media at Black Swarm Pod on Twitter, the Black Swarm Podcast on Facebook, uh, the Black Swarm Podcast at gmail.com If that's your thing, uh, we'll maybe maybe not build a website in the off season. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I kind of wax and wane with interest on that. Uh, our our tailgate playlist. You know, if you have any suggestions for that. We have it on Spotify. We tweeted out the link last week. We'll probably get it out there this week. You can listen to that after you listen to our podcast on the uh, on the way down to Columbus, wherever we're playing Winton Woods at. Oh, and uh, real quick, when we go down to uh, before we go down to Columbus, the team is having a send off at what is it? Twelve fifty. Twelve fifty. Twelve fifty. Walking out from the locker room to the buses. If we can get a big crowd there, you know, to send off the Tigers in the proper masculine way, that'd be great. It just, you know, really show the team how much you love them. And, frankly, if you have to hop in your car and follow the buses on the way down, that's fine. You might get an escort out of it. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember when we played, you know, walking out and just seeing a group of fans randomly, you know, either escorting you to the bus or... Or after you just got done doing walkthrough and you're making your walk to the locker room for a home game, you know, it was just, it, it meant something, noticing that fans were there hours before they should be. So, I mean, that's definitely something that we recognize when we played. It's something that we're being asked to do for the team now. So, if you have nothing else going on, try to get down there. Uh, the team's leaving at 1250 on Friday. So if you can get there 12:45, it's not like you have to be there all day. You know, it only takes 30 seconds for the team to walk past you, but if you're able to, uh definitely try to get to the front of the stadium at 12:45, 12:50. And with that, that's the rest of my housekeeping I got, and I guess we'll just dive right into rapid fire questions. Uh I'll start us off. How do you drink your coffee? Cream or sugar? Like a little sissy. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Oh, my God. We're going to... Not yet. One of these days, we're going to explicitly find someone that will answer that question, yes, and I will be a happy camper. Oscar Meyer says yes. Oscar Meyer does say yes. They're a hot dog company. I think they're experts on this subject. How do you... Your go-to pizza order? Krause's. West Side. West Side only. East Side sucks. Pepperoni. <laughs> Oh. I heard that's a I heard that's a big debate in the locker room. Yeah, that... east side of town is I don't know how people live over there, but you know, <laughs> yes, it is. It's a big debate in, in the locker room. <laughs> Love having a west side over here. You yeah, know, Jim and I will represent the east side. That's fine. <laughs> uh, how do you have your steak cooked? Medium. Go to pump up song. Go to what? Pump up song. Uh, right now, it's anything by Post Malone. That caught me off guard. Yeah, All right. well, hey, not wrong, but right. did catch you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather your t-shirts be one size too small or two sizes too big? 
Since I've been lifting, one size too small. All right. That's <laughs> a go-to. Go. You know, you get a little fit. Yeah. has to be a little small. <laughs> show off the guns. Um, they make a movie about your life. Who plays you? Uh, Clint Eastwood. Nice. I like Clint it. Eastwood. Yeah, it's you, not you, realistic, but I'm I was going to say, I think he's a little old at this yeah, point, but yeah, well, still, I like it. It's the style. Yeah. yeah. What TV sitcom could you see yourself being a part of? Uh, Last Man Standing. Nice. Definitely. Great show. Great show. If you could be on any staff, excluding Paul Browns, of a former Masson coach, who would you be on? Uh, Rick Sheppis. And, you know, let me just clarify. It's because I love the guy, but I hear the guy's a coach for him. He was pretty rough, so... <laughs> All right, one coach, past or present, that you would like to be on their staff, not for Maslin. Past or present? Past or present. Current staff. I love this staff. This staff is so much fun. Awesome. Great way to kiss ass there. Favorite hobby? (laughs) Uh, Fishing. Nice. All right. What was the first vehicle you ever drove? First deal was 1974 Cutlass. It was my parents, it was my mom's, and I got to drive it whenever she did it. That's back in the days when you get your own car. So whoever's mom would let you take the car that week to school, that's who carpooled. So <laughs> 74 Cutlass. Nice. All right. Dead or alive, real or fake? One person you'd like to sit down and have a beer with? Denzel Washington. Oh, all right. Nice. Which college coach currently would you like to be on a staff with uh nick saban for the experience not for the mental anguish but for the experience <laughs> would be an experience <laughs> i'd have to go with mike leach myself but for the know, entertainment yeah <laughs> for the entertainment definitely all right your best feature uh my passion that's a good answer yeah i definitely got me fired up a time or two tonight <laughs> What is your favorite Maslin moment of all time? 1974 McKinley game. God, trying to get me all pumped up again. <laughs> Getting all hot and heavy over here. Between your dad and Matt and Jim's mom, we've heard that story a hundred times. <laughs> Very different perspectives, though. That's the key. You're right. That, that, that is how you build a story. <laughs> all right. Let's see here. Oh, best chicken wings you've ever had. Krauses. West side? West side. And a boy. Really proving a point here. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite fast food restaurant? Uh, Wendy's. All right. Kind of coming down the home stretch here. Favorite non lizard man related conspiracy theory? Uh, favorite? Realistic that I believe it or just. Go with both. Either both one that holds the most water to you and the other that you just you like. Yeah, they're both idiotic. 9-11 theory is idiotic, so as we didn't land on the moon. <laughs> both idiotic. So they're my favorite because they're just, what's wrong with people? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your favorite position to coach? Favorite position all time to coach was quarterbacks. But, you know, that was... My entire life till I got to coach linebackers, then it changed the linebacker. I love coaching linebacker. All right, and the last question here, and I love it because it's, again, just ridiculous. 
If you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be and why? I would be chocolate peanut butter because they're my two favorite flavors. And that's basically why they're my two favorite flavors together. Well, all right then, Reese Cup. That's right. <laughs> no better candy bar. All right. Um, I guess that wraps it up for the Week 14 State Semifinal Edition of the Black Swarm Podcast. I, with the rest of Maslin, hope we're here next week. But until then, go Tigers. Speed, wooden, woods. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.